Well, good morning, Soul family. It is great to be here with you this morning. Um, I hope you're enjoying the nice hot weather outside. Uh, how many of you agree with me and think it's crazy that we're almost at August? Uh, I don't know about you, but for me, the summer has flown. And so my recommendation is make sure to get outside, catch some sun, because we do live in Winnipeg and you know what's on its way. And so I hope you're all having a great summer. It's good to be here today. My name is Jordan. I'm the adult ministry pastor here at Soul Sanctuary. And it's just a pleasure for me to, uh, to open the scriptures with us today as we continue in our series from a friend uh, through the book of 1 Corinthians. And so today we're going to look at chapter 9. I'm going to mention right off the hop that we will be taking communion this morning together at the end of the life lesson. And so please feel free to prepare a cup of something and uh, either a piece of bread or cracker. Have that ready because immediately following the life lesson, uh, we're going to share communion together as a church community. Um, and so today we're looking into chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. But before we do that, um, let's take a quick recap as Pastor Jerry did an excellent job of teaching through chapter 8 last week, which of course talks about the freedoms that a believer has. And in this case, the example was in being free to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Now, Paul declares that believers are really free to eat whatever they want. And regardless of what happens to a piece of meat before it's put on your plate, it has no bearing on whether or not a believer can eat it. Unless, of course, a believer's conscience won't allow them to do so. If they don't feel free in this area, then they should not eat because their eating, as Paul would say, isn't coming from faith. You see, the Apostle Paul cautions us in chapter 8 that above our freedom, and perhaps even above our rights here, we must make sure to consider others in the faith first, particularly the weaker brother or sister or those with a weak conscience. And so as a Christian, it is good to consider does my taking part in a certain activity or meal or beverage have the ability to harm the conscience, to harm the conscience of a weaker brother or sister in the room? And that's a question I think we always have to be mindful of. And if so, it is far better to refrain for their sake, and in this way, we actually love each other. And so we are free, no doubt, but our freedom enables us to build up the church and to build up the family of God, to encourage one another. And I was just, I, I, I love last week's life lesson. It was a great life lesson last week, and if you missed it, I, I just encourage you to go online, take some time to check it out. But today, we're going to continue down this line of thinking. It's not like Paul's jumping from point to point all throughout the letter, but a lot of this stuff kind of moves and kind of gels together. But we're going to continue down this line of thinking. And the Apostle Paul is back to defending himself and his ministry. And it, it, it's, you almost chuckle when you hear that, because this is like a common theme throughout his first letter to the, the church of Corinth. He's always having to defend himself. He's always having to defend something that they're accusing him of. And the church, they really had this uh, superiority attitude. They felt that they were so wise. The, they thought they were so eloquent. And so Paul is about to respond to those who are doubting his ministry and his authority as an apostle. And so as we look into this, I want us to first talk about our rights. What does it mean to have 
rights. You see, one of the great moral gains of the second half of the 20th century is this belief shared by most people around the world that all people are to be respected and valued. And this is for all people and not just some. This is regardless of social status, of race, of age, um, female, male. They all matter. And this is often expressed when we talk about human rights. And so this phrase has become so common in a way that it wasn't common 100 years ago. And to speak of human rights and to say that people have rights is is said in order to say that people don't have the rights to exploit or abuse other people. It's to protect people from that. I like how N.T. Wright adds to this in his commentary on the book of 1 Corinthians. He says, to such a line of thought, he adds, whether the worldwide community yet knows how to move simply from talking about all of this to actually doing something about it remains to be seen. And I guess that's the, the tough truth in it all. But in any case, talking about rights as a way of making a point can have its own problems. It can be a way of standing up for the weak, no doubt. And in its best case scenario, that's what we see happening. But it can also be a way of asserting all kinds of other things that perhaps sometimes do the opposite. It could, it could be about asserting these thoughts about people being independent and being able to do what they like or what they want in every sphere of life. It can quickly turn from a positive thing into an attitude about having the right to be arrogant or to be selfish or to be greedy or really just whatever you could add to the list when you think about that. Rights in and of themselves are a good thing, but when used for selfishness and with the wrong motivation, they can actually do the opposite of what they were intended for and they can begin to hurt other people. And sometimes our rights can be elevated on principle, and yet this is often at the expense of others, almost contradicting why we had them in the first place. You know, I was thinking about an example of this this past week in Scripture, and I'm going to take you a little OT here, not overtime but Old Testament, okay? I, I, I thought about the prophet Jonah as I was studying for this life lesson and how God had called him to go and speak to a nation, Nineveh, who desperately needed to hear from God, who desperately needed to repent and turn away from their wicked ways. And, uh, and this was a nation whom Jonah did not like, didn't like these people. Uh, they were his enemies. They had done some terrible things to his nation. And he wanted no part of talking to them, or he didn't want to play any role in any potential turnaround uh, that they could have. He wanted none of it. And so he jumped on his ship, and he started to run from God. He ran away from God, Scripture says. The Scriptures tell us he then sailed to a place called Tarshish, a safe place, or at least in his mind, he thought it was. And as he was running away from God, we read this in the Scriptures in Jonah 1, verse 4 to 6. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And I feel like this passage and this story really speaks to the harm that looking out for ourselves or our rights can have. 
Here's an example of Jonah who's just not really concerned about what's going on here. But as everyone's panicking, as everyone's trying to figure out why the storms come upon the ship, um, how they can survive, how they won't die, uh, Jonah decides it's a great time to take a nap and, and, and just to relax and, and maybe catch up on his sleep. And what he does here is he really ignores the common good here. He really ignores the good of everyone who was on board that day. Surely Jonah had the right to take a nap, sure, okay? But was it the right time to do so when great trouble was present and awaiting? You see, Jonah is not bringing the resources of his faith to bear on the suffering of his fellow citizens here. First, he doesn't want to go tell a nation about how they can repent and turn to God. He doesn't want to have any part of that. Neither is he loving and serving the practical needs of his neighbors who were on the boat with him that day. But he's asleep, and he's paying no regard to anyone else. And Jonah's private faith here is of no public good. You see, where Jonah could be helping the common good here, he's busy doing his own thing, caring about himself, running from God, focused on his plans. And surely, you know, surely it's probably fine. It's probably his right to have a nap that day. But is it a benefit to the common good of the people on board with him that day? Did it benefit others? Or was it merely a benefit to him? You see, the lack of mercy in Jonah's attitude and actions towards others really reveals that he was a stranger in his own heart to the mercy and grace of God. And today we're talking about our rights. (laughs) But we can never do this without also considering and talking about the good and well-being of others, of those around us. Our rights were never given to us so that we can simply look after our own interests and protect ourselves without worrying or caring about other people. That wasn't the intention of them. You see, I think about the pandemic that we're in right now. And, you know, it's been like, I guess, three, four months now. Um, When when we start to self-isolate, we start to, you know, quarantine and and, and live at home. And in our province, for the most part, I think we came together and we stayed home for weeks and months so that we can not overwhelm our healthcare system and so that we can protect one another from this virus. And I know things have taken a bit of a turn, you know, with uh, the hot weather here and maybe some fatigue setting in a bit. But it was great seeing our leaders of our province and our doctors, our health leaders, praise how this province came together and put ourselves in a better position going forward, caring for the common good of what was happening here. And on the other hand, we see in many places the conversation isn't even about others. But it's about one's own rights, our rights to be free, our rights to go out anywhere that we choose, our rights to not, you know, wear a mask. I was sitting in the Forks last week uh, for a few moments, and there was this protest that just walked by me yelling, no more masks, no more masks. And, 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 and people are really about their rights in this moment, rights to do as they want in a free society. Even in our own city, we have seen people who prefer to put these rights first and have spoken out. But sometimes... And definitely for those who follow Jesus, we must lay down our rights. 
We must lay down our rights to benefit other people and for the good of other people, the common good. And for believers and followers of Christ, this goes even further because this is a part of who you are and what you do and what your Savior himself modeled. And so let's read in our passage today. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul writes this in verses 1 to 3. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. And so the Apostle Paul starts this portion of the letter. He starts his defense talking about how he is free. And he even asks the question, am I not free? You see, being free is the ability to make decisions, think and feel in a way that is not under the compulsion of anything else. And so are you free? The first thing the Apostle Paul points to here is his freedom. And this is in line with the previous chapter's teaching that we just talked about last week. Paul embraces his freedom in Christ, no doubt. But what does it mean for us to experience freedom and live free in our world and not be entrapped by the entitlement culture that we live in? This culture that talks about our rights and what we deserve. You see, I think Paul's going to show us an example of what this looks like here. True freedom, last week as we saw in chapter 8's example, is that you can have full freedom to eat meat regardless of what has taken place before it arrived on your plate. But true freedom for a Christian was someone who can give up their right to do so for the sake and love of another person. And Paul is going to give an example of this. You see, true freedom is being able to give up the things you're entitled to for the furthering of the gospel message. Paul's apostleship here is coming under question. They're asking questions. Is Paul really an apostle? Why isn't he like the other teachers? Why isn't he like the other teachers who come through that we see? Is Paul really commissioned by God? Is he someone we should listen to? And Paul is starting to defend himself against their accusations here as his methods and his ways were in question here very much. And Paul is asking the question, am I not free to function in this way rather than fit the mold of all the other leaders in Corinth. You see, in verse 3, he says, this is my defense to those who are examining me. Have I not been called? Have I not seen Jesus? Has my ministry not been fruitful? You see, Paul had seen Jesus, and the church in Corinth was the seal of his apostleship. They were a result of the Holy Spirit transforming them, and Paul was the vessel being used in this work. You see, the Corinthians themselves were evidence of Paul's work in the gospel. But some argued that the Corinthians wanted a charismatic leader. They wanted a showy leader, and Paul didn't match that. And they wanted Paul to change his leadership style to suit their preferences, if I could say it like that. You know, it makes me think of uh, Israel in the Old Testament, right? You know, God had plans for them, but they wanted a king. They wanted to be like other nations, and they asked for a king, and they asked for it. And so finally they got a king, and Saul 
only to result in what we, you know, if you want to read through it, go, go, go give it a read and you'll see what failure and just disaster that resulted in to an extent. And so you got to look at the background and history of the culture that Paul was writing to here. You see, all the leaders of this time, the traveling communicators, basically the religious teachers and the philosophers of the time, they would travel into a city and each would come with their own philosophy and rhetoric and would try to create their own um, disciples and followers. And as they did this, these orators would be paid for their labor. This is how they made a living. And in Corinth, these teachers would come into the city and the rich and affluent would look after them and would pay them. And what would happen often is these leaders would essentially just become puppets on a string to those who were taking care of their needs, those who were paying their expenses. As the wealthy and rich in Corinth would push their agenda upon these leaders and say, if you still want my support, if you still want my money for your living, then you need to say this, or you need to do this, or we expect you to behave like this. And should the teacher ever object in any way, then the attitude would become, oh, well, so you're not going to do that? Oh, well, maybe, maybe you need to find somewhere else to live. Maybe you need to find someone else who will pay you. Maybe you need to find someone else who will essentially sponsor you. And they supported the religious teacher, but only as long as they were having their ideas and their agenda and really their political support gained. And it was a deal that was, you know, dependent on the leader and teacher doing certain things and saying certain things that those funding them would agree on. And Paul wouldn't do this. Paul would have no part of this kind of setup. He would have nothing of it. And he defends his position. And he says, yes, I am an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, I have the right to be paid. Yes, I do. But I will not make use of any of these rights. Paul, in his second letter to the church in Corinth, addresses this in 2 Corinthians 11, 7, by saying, was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge. And so he's addressing this very situation in his next letter. But you see, what Paul did here by not accepting payment was most unusual. Teachers of the time didn't do this. Paul was turning a worldly standard upside down in that city. And he wouldn't take their money. He wouldn't take their remuneration. And they couldn't manipulate him. They couldn't control him. They couldn't get the agenda push that they wanted. They, they couldn't in any way treat him like a puppet on a string. Paul would not give in to their desires. And so in light of all this, the Apostle Paul starts to defend his rights in verses 3 to 12. Let's read them. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us? as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers in Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who, who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading up the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? 
Yes, this was written for us, because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is talking about he is entitled to receive payment for his work in the gospel. And he's going to show them why. He's going to give them some examples from life. Paul is saying, I have God-ordained rights to expect provision and payment from the church for my work in the labor of the gospel. He has the right to refrain from taking a second job and to be paid in the church. It's a right that he has. And he appeals to five different areas to show us this. In verse 7, he talks about a soldier at war, right? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who puts themselves in harm's way for free? You know, soldiers who serve on the front line are, 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 are taken care of. They're, they receive payment. He talks about a farmer. He uses the example of a farmer who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes. You see, a farmer in this time would use the crop to sell all they could for profit, but always kept some for themselves. And this was just common sense. He uses the example of a shepherd who tends the flock but does not drink its milk. You see, a shepherd would, yes, sell milk, but also keep what he or she needs for their family. And this was just common sense. Paul has every right to make his living as a minister in the same way as these other occupations. And that is what he is writing to them. He's telling them. He's expressing to them. In verse 8, Paul actually appeals to a scriptural precedent in the Old Covenant, quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. He talks about... Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. He uses that exact quotation from the book of Deuteronomy. And ox were used back then to trample and stomp on grain, to break it all up so that it could be separated and used. And then it was stored for harvest time and sold at the markets. But God made a provision even for the oxen, not to muzzle them as they do this. For they too shall share in the labors and eat as they do this. And Paul uses this example to show that surely this applies to more than just the ox. Is it just oxen that God is concerned for? Of course not. How much more then should Paul be supported by the church for his endeavors and his work? God cares for the oxen, yes, of course, but God also loves and cares for those made in his image. And so the Apostle Paul is defending that he does have the right to this. In verse 12, he says, and he appeals to his ministry, and he says, if we sow spiritual seed among you, is it too much to reap a material harvest? And he talks about how others are coming in, and others are asking for this rightful claim. How much more should I receive it, he says? who God used to plant this church and work of the gospel than those who come after me. Let's read the rest of our text, verse 13 to 18. The Apostle Paul says, Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? 
In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights. And I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use, full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. And so Paul isn't quite done even with his defense here, right? Paul now uses the temple illustration, something that the people at the time would have been very familiar with. And, in the, and, and all in the temple received a benefit from the sacrifices that were made and what was given. This was something that should have hit to the core if people still weren't understanding what he was trying to say. And then Paul uses the words of Jesus himself in verse 14. He's basically quoting Jesus from Luke 10, 7, where Jesus says, Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. These were the words of Jesus himself to his disciples, whom he was sending out to minister and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And Paul bridges the connection that in the same way, those who labor in the proclamation of the gospel should get their living from the gospel. You see, Paul is an apostle. And so in his defense, Paul, just like common practice had it, just like scriptural precedent said it, just like religious custom was at the time, just as in pure common sense, Paul, just as in Jesus' own words and instruction here, he should receive payment for his work and labor in, pro in the proclamation of the gospel. And this was his right. This was a right he had. There was no question. And Paul did not leave that up for debate. Those who labor in their gospel should receive their remuneration from their labor. And so after arguing for all the reasons why he and other Christian ministers should receive their due payment, in verse 15, he says, even though I'm entitled to this, and it is my right to claim this from you, I have made no use of any of these rights. And this is how he wanted it. <laughs> in fact, he couldn't be convinced any other way. You know, put yourself in that context. Think about yourself through that lens. How many of you are going to go to work and, you know, pour your time and energy into the current place that you work at and, and, and work hard hours? And then when it comes time to receive your pay, how many of you think it's a good idea to just say to your employer, oh, you know what, that's fine. It's all good. Keep the money. Put it back into the company. I don't need to be paid. How many of us think it, it would just be a fantastic idea just to take our July paychecks and send them back to the company? Um, anyone? <laughs> I didn't think so. So how is it that Paul can do this? How is it that he can say, I will not take up my right to this? I think the answer we see in verse 12 at the end. 
You see, if others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, here it is. We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul seems to have a way of living that means there is something far greater to live for than your right to your own rights. There seems to be something far greater that it supersedes even entitlement. There is such a way to live as a Christian, to look at things that we're entitled to and say no for the sake of the gospel going forward. This was his heart's desire. You see, in verse 12, he's clear. He will endure anything to remove any obstacle in the way of the gospel. And so what is the obstacle he's talking about? What is the obstacle in this particular uh, situation that he wants to remove so it doesn't hinder the gospel? Well, he doesn't want to be seen as a puppet on a string to others. He will not bow down to push other people's agendas and political opinions and their teachings and their ideas in order to receive payment here. He wants to take away that whole notion that somebody could own him and get him to be their voice, that they'll just take care of him and give him money and give him stuff. And his concern here is for all those that he preached to who didn't know Jesus. The Apostle Paul was concerned for the lost. His heart beat for the loss. And so Paul is saying to make sure that people don't think I'm, I'm pushing someone else's agenda in order to get paid, I won't put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. And I'll relinquish my rights here. Even though I do have the right to receive payment, I will lay that down so as to put no obstacle in the way of someone coming to know Jesus. And he addresses this very thing again in his second letter to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 2.17, he says this, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. You see, this was a big issue in that culture. And so to not hinder the message, because the message of Jesus was everything to Paul, he says he's compelled to preach it. This isn't just some clever idea that he's preaching. This isn't just something that he came up with, but this is something that he lives by. This saved him. This changed his life. Old to new. And he says, he even says, woe to him if he doesn't preach this gospel. You see, the Apostle Paul loved the message of the gospel more than his rights and entitlement. The Apostle Paul, he loved the people of this church more than his rights and entitlement. He loved the lost and those who had no relationship with Jesus more than his rights and his entitlements. And Paul is so free. He knows freedom so well. He's willing to continue on without taking what he's entitled to. And that doesn't seem, he doesn't, lean to, he doesn't seem to lose any zeal for the gospel in the process. If anything, he seems to be more zealous for the gospel. Because in the gospel, Paul is living out of a new paradigm, a new kingdom. And it's not of this world. And he can give up his rights if it means that that message and that work is going to go forward. 
And when you are free in Christ and when you encounter Jesus, you are released from the control of the things of the world. You're released from even your own entitlements. And even more so, you're not just released from the control of the things of this world, but also the pattern of simply living for yourself. You get free from that. You start to look around at the other people in the room. Other people matter. And this entitlement bubble that I think we live in sometimes, even in our culture, it can hinder us if we're not careful. It can affect what it means to walk with Jesus. And it can hinder the life of the church if we're all just wanting to stand up for my rights and what I'm owed, and at times not laying them down when it's right to do so. You see, the gospel does not run on the same playbook (laughs) as the world's. But the gospel sets us free in Christ, and in doing so, we can lay things down because the gospel and people coming to know Jesus is so worth it. So worth it. And so here's a couple questions for us to consider. Do we ever get more wrapped up in our own rights and in what we're entitled to than the responsibility of proclaiming the gospel to others? Do we get sidetracked? Do we focus on things that maybe we shouldn't focus on so much? Do we ever struggle with laying things down in order to look to the needs of other people? Bring your answers to those questions to Jesus. Ask him for his help. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Just examine your hearts in the many ways and maybe in which you have put your rights first sometimes when you just need to to, to lay them down so that somebody can experience God and his love. You see, in Corinth, many were giving to the teachers and leaders and philosophers who came through that city because they wanted to control them. They wanted to push their own agenda, not because they were concerned about the leader being free and being provided for and doing, even in this case, the work of the gospel. And they used money to try and manipulate, and they gave for all the wrong reasons. And so Paul needed to make clear the sincerity of his message and remove any stumbling blocks that may have existed. And so he lays down his right here to even receive due payment. There's no sense of him fighting for his right or clinging to his entitlement and his example. You see, there's this thing out there that I've heard some pastors talk about called spiritual entitlement, and it makes us think sometimes that we are owed something by God. But true freedom in Christ teaches us that it's to lay down your rights, it's to take up your cross, it's to follow Jesus and his example, because he is worth it, and others must hear this message. The message of Jesus is for everyone. And we believe that here at Soul Sanctuary. In fact, it's one of our family values. The message of Jesus is for everyone. And Paul, in in this aim, in carrying out this aim, denies his rights. Why? Because the advancement of the gospel to him was far greater than clinging to his rights and entitlements here. And what an example, what a challenge that is to us. You see, the greatest reason for any of us as Christians to to deny our rights, to deny our rights, sorry, is so that we may point other people towards Jesus. 
And so if you're struggling with rights and always wanting to defend your rights, I invite you to talk to Jesus about that. Bring it to him. He'll lead you. He'll give you an example. He'll guide you in that. But may we learn today a lesson from the Apostle Paul's example. And always remember that above even our own rights, above even our own entitlements, that we make sure to consider other people. That we consider others knowing that the message of Jesus is for everyone. And to remember that as Christians, we also have a responsibility to others and to the common good. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you um, for your word today. I thank you for the example we see in the Apostle Paul's life and in your example, Jesus, by laying down your life for us. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would just encourage us and empower us and help us, Lord, as we go out into this world and seek to love other people and seek to share the gospel and share the message of you with them. Lord, be our help. Be our strength. Speak to our hearts today, Lord God. If there's any way in which we've been clinging to things a little too tightly, Lord, help us to release our grip. And more than anything, help us to experience that true freedom that is only found in you. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's fitting for us that today's life lesson fell in chapter 9 in the book of Corinthians where we're talking about our rights. Because you only have to look to the example of Jesus to see what it means to lay down your rights for the benefit of others. So let me read as we go into a time of communion here in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5. Reread this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a ser servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This morning, as we take communion, may we remember the example of Jesus in his dealing with us, in his dealing with others, how he laid down his rights. May we examine our hearts this morning. Would we allow the Holy Spirit to examine us in our lives and even our relationships with one another? You see, the scripture in Philippians just told us Jesus being in very nature God did not consider equality with God, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He humbled himself and died on the cross for you and for me so that we can be forgiven and live a free life in Jesus. And so this morning, before we drink the cup, before we eat the bread, let's worship and let's allow God just to examine our hearts. Let's focus in on him in these next few moments. And so let's take communion this morning.
And as we eat the bread, we remember Christ's body broken for you and for a broken world. Let's eat the bread together this morning in remembrance of him. And as we drink the cup, we remember Christ's blood shed for you and shed for the world so that our sins may be forgiven. Let's drink the cup together this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks and praise today. Thank you for the love that you have shown each of us in laying down your life so that we may experience true life in you. Thank you for your example that you set before us. Be our help, Lord. Be our strength today as we live for you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Soul family, just as Jesus laid down his rights and his life for us. May we also consider how we can lay down our lives and rights to serve him, to love him and love one another. May you go today in the grace of the Father, in the love of Jesus, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. May you always take up the right and privilege to live the message of Jesus and share it freely with those around you. Be encouraged this morning and go in his power. Amen. Have a great week, saints. We'll see you on Wednesday. Enjoy the sun today.